Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to everybody watching online. It's good to have you with us as well. If you're watching online, don't forget you have that prayer tab. You have the sermon outline that's there, uh, the scripture passage, all that's available online. Also a chat feature. Hope you use that as well, and it's good to see everyone out today. Saw a lot of people that are here for the first time. Uh, it's good to have you with us in person as well uh, as we begin today. Over the last year, there's been a lot going on in our country, a lot of things that have pulled us apart and divided us. So I wanted to do something that would bring the whole church city and world together so watch this short video as we try to bring unity in our land and furnish it with love grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves i like to teach the world to sing sing with me We had the power to change the world in our hands, and it's Coca-Cola. So I want to do something this morning. I'm going to pass out a few Cokes. Now, here's the thing. These are mini Cokes, so I don't know if it's going to make the whole world better. So what we're going to do today is we're just going to make our church united as one because we now have Coke in the church. That will bring us all together. What a great thing, unbelievable. It was so simple all along if we would have just known that. But think about it for a second. Does anybody here like Pepsi better than Coke? Oh, well that might be a problem. Anybody else maybe like Sprite or something non-caffeinated better? Yeah? Yeah, all of our Mormons out there, they're, they're doing it. Anybody like, you don't like sodas at all? Okay, several, okay. Well, here I thought Coke was going to bring us together, and now we see there's a divergence of opinions, and it's actually pulling us apart instead of bringing us together. What we're going to talk about this morning is what is supposed to bring the church together. What is supposed to unite the church stronger than any of our differences can tear apart? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to be over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 17. And we're going to see what was supposed to unite the church and Christians everywhere and bring us together as one. Now, in 1 Corinthians 11, as we get started here, Paul is writing to a church that has a lot of divisions. 
This is a fairly wealthy church as far as New Testament churches go. There's some fairly prominent people in the church. There's also some slaves in the church. There's also uh, Jews and Gentiles alike in the church. And you have this mismatch of people that don't always get along. And that's probably true of every church is made up of very diverse people with a lot of different opinions and a lot of different ways of seeing the world. And so Paul is going to be talking about what brings this diverse group of people together and what can cause us to fracture. And that's what we're going to be looking at over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're actually going to start down in verse 10, verses 16 and 17, if you want to turn over that. Verse 10, verses 16 and 17. And the first thing we see is this. The Lord's Supper was given to the church to unite Christians and to bring unity. The Lord's Supper was given to the church to unite Christians and to bring unity. Look at verses 16 and 17 of chapter 10. It says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. So in just two sentences here, Paul talks about the fact that what we do in the Lord's Supper, what we're remembering in the Supper is supposed to unite Christians. Now we're going to break this down a little bit more as we go later on, but what it's talking about basically is this. We all share a common salvation, and because of that we've been brought together as one family, one body in Christ. And he talks about the symbolism of the Supper. He says there's one bread. Now, this would have been a matzah bread, like you see here. It was unleavened bread uh, that, that the church would have had. And so when Jesus gave that meal, he gave one loaf, and they all shared from the one loaf. Then he said, there's just one cup. And so they all shared one cup. And Jesus said, okay, just as there's one loaf, there's one cup, and we're all sharing together in the sacrifice that I have made for you. Now, we kind of miss the power of the symbolism today uh, because with health guidances and everything, we no longer have one bread and one cup. You know, we, we have these little uh, convenient packets that you have there with the, with the uh, styrofoam uh, bread on the inside and, and the sour juice there, there as well, you know, or something like that. And uh, so that's what we use today. And you kind of miss the symbolism of one bread, one cup, one body, one people in Christ, all together because of what Jesus did on the cross. So that's the very start of what we're going to be talking about today, that the supper was given to unite the church under a common salvation and a common sacrifice of Jesus. The Lord's Supper was given to unite Christians and bring unity. That brings us to the next thing that we see as we transition over into chapter 11 where we'll spend the rest of the time, and that's this. Sadly, the supper has become something that divides us. The church is a divided church in so many ways, and the Lord's Supper is one of the things that divides the church today, and it divides the church in almost any way you can think of dividing it. We're divided over even what do you call it? Uh, some people call it the Lord's Supper. That's generally what we call it, uh, because that's how Paul refers to it in uh, chapter 11, verse 20 here, uh, that we're going to look at in just a second. It was the Supper of the Lord gave his disciples some people call it holy communion communion means fellowship uh that we're all together we're all fellowshipping we're all part of one body is it a holy communion of course it is some people call it Eucharist. The word Eucharist just means thanksgiving. Uh, over and over again, we're told Jesus took the cup, he gave thanks. Is it a Eucharist? Absolutely. But we fight over what to name it, even though all seem to apply and seem to be accurate. 
We fight over how often you take the Lord's Supper. Some people say, well, you take it every single week. Some people say, well, we're just going to take it. I've been in churches that took it once a quarter. Uh, some churches only take it once or twice a year. We do every other month. Uh, nowhere in Scripture are we told how many times you take it. In chapter 11, verse 26 again, uh, Jesus said, uh, Paul says, as often as you take this cup you remember the lord's death but he doesn't say how often you were supposed to but we fight over that as well we fight over who's supposed to take uh the lord's supper uh, i was a member of a church growing up that actually had a church split over closed or open communion and all that means is uh if it's closed communion only your church can take it because we don't trust those other people if you've wandered in off the street we haven't vetted you and we don't know if you're saved and you're not about to take it with us so that's closed communion. Open communion is, is, hey, come on in, anybody will do it. Some people say only baptized Christians can take it. Uh, I was a part of a church growing up where the deacons policed it. They'd pass it down a row, and if they didn't know a guest, they'd say, have you been baptized? No, they would literally do that, you know, uh, uh, because they wanted to police what was going on. So we even fight over who's supposed to take the Lord's Supper. We fight over what does it even mean? Uh, some people believe it's transubstantiation, which the body and blood literally become, the, the cup and the, and the bread literally become the body and blood of Jesus. And if that's the case, then the way salvation is gained is by taking the supper. And if you're excommunicated, you're no longer taking the supper, and so you're no longer saved. Uh, that's kind of the, the implication. Consubstantiation uh, is something Martin Luther came up with, which is basically, well, something mysterious happens, and Jesus is especially close, but it's not really the body and blood, and, and so nobody really knows what he's talking about when he does it. And, and then... And then uh, what most Protestants believe is that it's, it's a symbol. It represents the body and blood of Jesus. It's a tool that we're using to teach. Well, believe it or not, the church in Corinth didn't argue over any of those things. But they had a major disagreement about the Lord's Supper. Look down at chapter 11, verse 17. Chapter 11, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for when you meet together, you do more harm than good. Now, how would you like Paul to write to your church and say, hey, when you gather for worship, you're doing more harm than good? Obviously, he's watched some of the videos of me preaching before, you know, uh, when he says something, something like that. Uh, he then goes on uh, into verse 18, and he says, In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. So Paul's upset that a church that was supposed to be united under a common salvation has instead become divided. And he says, how can that be? Verse 19, he goes on. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And that's kind of like the little, the little uh, uh, he's sticking them in the side there. He's saying, well, I know why there's divisions because some of you are just so important you got to prove you're right instead of trying to find unity uh, in, in the church. Verse 20. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. When you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What, I, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So what was the problem of the church in Corinth? The problem in the church of Corinth was they were basically having like a potluck dinner uh, before their worship service. But the potluck dinner became very exclusive. People were in their own little groups, and nobody else got in their own little group. You couldn't have any of my mashed potatoes. Only the people in my small group could have my mashed potatoes or something like that. And so some people went hungry. Some people had, had, uh, had a feast. 
And then in the middle of all this, they would take the Lord's Supper. Okay, take your mashed potatoes, you know, take, take a bite of that, you know. That's the body of Jesus broken for you. And when they got through it, Paul said, hey, look, you're humiliating some people. You're thinking you're, uh, you're superior to other people. You're not even taking the Lord's Supper. You're doing it as a fractured, divided group. And then you want me to praise you? He said, I'm not going to praise you for anything like that. And so here's the church fighting over something that was supposed to unify them church still fights over things that was supposed to unify us all the time we fight over the lord's supper as i said and the ironic thing is jesus gave two things to bring the church together in unity baptism and the lord's supper guess what the two things the church fights about the most are baptism and the lord's supper and satan must laugh his head off and smile every time we do it because what was supposed to bring us together is what is dividing us it's, it's a sad, sick joke that's being played upon us. But the church is divided by so many things. And that's the problem. If we are not centering on what Jesus did on the cross as the one thing that unites us, we're never going to come together because everything else is auxiliary. And so if we begin to say, well, we all have to agree politically. Well, I'll look around the room and guess what? I see Democrats, Republicans, and probably a few communists out there, you know, as I, as, I, as I look around the room. You know, I'm not gonna point them out, you know, just, just tell you it's out there, you know, or something like that. So we're never gonna agree politically, okay? It's not gonna happen. We're never gonna agree theologically. If I go through and say, okay, let's take a passage of scripture and we all have to agree on it, how many times has everybody in your small group ever agreed on a passage of scripture? You know, the, the, the uh, simple fact of the matter is there's an old saying, if you've got two Baptists together, you've got at least three opinions. You know, and, and that's probably a pr pretty good uh, uh, summary of the way that it is. We're never going to agree on everything that has to do with theology. We're never going to agree on ministry all the time. Well, should we do this or should we do that? We're always going to have different opinions and see the world differently. We're never going to agree even on some basic foundational things like worship. Do you know that 30 minutes after you all meet, some crazy people are coming in this room and start playing loud rock and roll instruments? <laughs> Literally gonna happen. We're never gonna agree on everything that's going on in the church. And as a matter of fact, there are a lot more things that can divide us than pull us together. So how do we meet together an incredibly diverse group of people sometimes with absolutely nothing in common and then think we're family there's only one thing that can do it and that's what jesus did on the cross and that's the next thing that we see the supper reminds us of three things that we need to know three things that we need to know look down to verse 23 verse 23 It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's a lot of things that can divide us as a church. It is this, this, the, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, our common salvation, that is supposed to pull us together. And that is what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be reminding us of. We all share a common salvation, even though other things 
may tear us apart. And so he tells us three things in verses 23 through 26 that should bring us together. The first is we're all saved the same way. It reminds us of our common salvation. We're only saved by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So Jesus took the bread and the cup and he said, my body, my blood, it was broken for you. It was shed for you. And so we're being reminded that the only way that we are saved is through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Now, we have two problems with that. One problem is sometimes you do fairly well. And when you do fairly well, you get a little bit arrogant. And you begin to think, man, God is lucky I'm on his side. You know, I bet he looks down at the rest of the world and how bad people are. And he sees me and he thinks, whew, lucky I got that one on my team. Well, if that's how you feel, the Lord's Supper is going to be a humbling experience for you. Because what the Lord's Supper is going to tell you is, hey, guess what? The best you could do, the very best you could do with all of your good works, with all of your right theology, with everything that you're doing good for me, the best that you could ever do is go straight to hell. That's the best you could ever do. So it's a humbling experience when we come to the table and we pick up the body and the bread, the bread and the cup and we're reminded, hey, it's only because Jesus died on the cross that I'm forgiven. I don't deserve it at all. But if you're here and you feel miserable, if you think, man, this has been a terrible week, God must look down at me and shake his head and say, boy, I made a mistake with that one. I tell you, they're, they're never going to cut it. If I was ever disappointed in anybody, I'm disappointed in you. We've all come in here and felt that way before. Man, God must be disappointed in me. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Over and over again, I knew I kicked myself all night long. And we feel the guilt that wells up in us. And if that's you, then you need the Lord's Supper as well. Because what the Supper reminds us is we don't go to heaven because we're good people. We don't get in a right relationship with God because of good theology or right works. It's because Jesus loved us and died on the cross and forgave us when we didn't deserve it. And now we become new people in him. And so we begin slowly to understand, hey, guess what? It's, it, the supper is about me and my salvation. I've been saved by Christ. That's the first thing it reminds us of. We do nothing to earn our salvation. Jesus died for us. The second thing the supper reminds us, it reminds us that God has brought us together as one family and his blood is the super glue that holds us together. So guess what? You've been saved when you didn't deserve it. You've been forgiven when the best you could do was go to hell. And guess what? Every other person in this room is saved the exact same way. They're not saved because they're good people. They're not saved because they've never irritated you. They're not saved because they agree with you on everything in the Bible. They're saved because God loved them despite their flaws and sins and died on the cross for them. And that's what brings us together as one. A common salvation. It's not that we all agree on everything in the Bible. It's not that we all agree on everything politically. It's not that we agree on how to do ministry or what kind of worship style we're going to have. We agree on one thing that binds us that we didn't deserve it and Jesus died for us anyway. That his shed body, that his shed blood and broken body was for us. You know, we have the one cup and the one bread and it was really interesting. Matzah's kind of like a cracker. And, uh, and, and so when you break it, you hear that broke sound. And that's what you would have heard. This is my body broken for all of you. 
See, we miss that symbolism today in the way we take the supper. It's broken for each and every one of us. We're together in this. We're reminded of that in the supper. Then we're reminded with the one cup, guess what? My blood was shed for each and every person in this room. It's not just you. It's every other person. And that brings us together stronger than anything in this world can ever tear apart. And then finally, the supper reminds us that Jesus is coming again and we will share together in the glories of heaven. Look down to verse 26. Verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes again. So it reminds us that one day we are all going to share alike in the glories of heaven as one family with God. We're all together as one and we're going to be together forever. You know, Austin Wilkerson was up here a few minutes ago when he was talking about uh, wills and estate plannings. And it's interesting, uh, about over 80% of people in our state either do not have a will or they have a will that doesn't, that doesn't apply to them any longer because of changes in life. Over 80% of people in our state have, have no will or invalid wills basically going on right now. So it means we're not prepared. We have no plan for the future. Well, the good news is this. Jesus is prepared, and Jesus does have a plan for the future. And his preparation and plan for the future, his last will and testament, is that because of what I did on the cross, dying for you, I'll rise again. And because I rise again, you're going to rise again, and you're going to be with me in heaven forever. But not just you. Every other person that calls upon my name and believes in me will all be together forever. I don't care what denomination. I don't care what country. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care your gender. When you call upon me, as Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And that binds us together as one. He has a will set out. What, what are we told in the scripture? God says that we are heirs of the kingdom of God and co-heirs with Jesus. He's made his will for us. And so we look back and what are we reminded when we take this supper? It is about a common salvation that draws us together and makes us one family. If we begin to center on the things that we disagree on, we can make lists until the cows come home. I don't exactly know what that means, but I guess cows come home at some point. I, I don't. When they need to get milk, they come home, right, Steve? All right, all right. Steve grew up in the country. I'll ch check with him. So cows come home to get milk, you know, whatever. So we, we, can, we, can, uh, we can make lists of things that divide us forever. I can grab any two of you as a matter of fact, I can grab two of you sitting together as husband and wife and make a list of things that divide you. Amen? <laughs> amen. Amen. Yeah, everybody's afraid to amen if they're sitting with their spouse right now. <laughs> I know how it is. If you're here alone, you're going, amen, amen. You know. All right. But the point is this. In our faith, the only thing that's going to hold us together is our common salvation. Everything else is going to pull us apart. And so that's what we have to rally around. It's not that the other things are important. I'm not saying you didn't, theology doesn't matter. Of course it matters. I'm not saying worship style doesn't matter. Of course worship style matters. I'm not saying ministry doesn't matter. Of course it does. But if you use that as your rallying point, and believe me, Christians have done that forever, all you're going to end up doing is, is lopping each other's heads off in the fight that you're going to have with each other. And we'll go through generations of Christians fighting Christians while Satan does whatever he wants out in the world. 
So we have to come together under a common salvation in Jesus Christ. As we prepare to take this meal, David's going to come now and lead us in a, in a hymn. And as he does, you think about the fact that you were saved when you didn't deserve it. So was everyone else in this room. We share a common salvation. We are brought together as one through the sacrifice of Jesus. David? We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.